The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BOUNDLESSPURSUIT for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. Today, we're talking big, toothy fish. I'm talking the fish of 10,000 casts, the muskie. And this uniquely American fish is high on my list. It's one that I've never caught, but it's probably the number one fish on this continent that I want to catch right now. And today, my guest is Justin Hokinson. And Justin's a muskie guide in the great state of Wisconsin, where the muskie is the state fish. And Justin has taken on this uniquely challenging predator as a guide. And he's made it even more challenging by pursuing them on the fly. Still, Hokinson bolsters his credibility on the pursuit of big muskie with countless trophy specimens on the fly each season. And what I like about the guy, he's just a down-to-earth dude who simply likes monster fish. And when he's not busy catching big muskie, this is a guy that likes chasing other monster fish like big lake sturgeon, pike, buffalo, smallmouth bass, walleye, and more. Justin is just a very well-rounded angler talented in the pursuit of different species, but he is in deep with muskie. So it was great connecting with the guy and learning more about his fishery, his business, and his passion for big muskie on the fly. This is muskie fly fishing guide, Justin Hokinson. <laughs> Sounds good. We're just kind of ease into it, but Justin Hokinson, I don't want to butcher your name, but um, you're, you're, you're my muskie guy. And you got musky in the background. You got the man cave. <laughs> and man, I knew um, when I started this podcast, it's like, you know, I want to have like a real diverse, you know, collection of anglers, diverse collection of species topics. And obviously, when you talk about like the North American frontier of fish, the musky is kind of like one of those. I don't know. For me, everybody's got their hell. There may be people that consider them trash fish. I don't know. But for me, that's like <laughs> one of those like top tier North American, just like American species. So I'm like, I got to find a good solid musky guy. So welcome. You're my musky guy. Yeah, so thank you for having wear me. The, <laughs> wear the badge with honor. And and I know that there's more layers to you than that. Um, like I mentioned before we hit the record button, I kind of know you as another one, like the rough fish guys, yep. sturgeon, <laughs> the buffalo um, suckers, a lot of variety, but it seems like the bread and butter is uh, the musky fishing. 
and what I thought was interesting about you is you're not just a muskie angler, you're guiding <laughs> for them. So you took something that's already hard and you made it 10 times harder by bringing somebody on board. And then not only did, is that hard, you took that, made it 50 times harder and you do it with a fly rod. Yep. Like, God, <laughs> this guy just wants the hardest life imaginable. But um, you're going to be educating me a lot in this conversation. It is kind of like still like a dream fish for me. But yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did y'all not just have uh, is it like season opener or whatever there right now? Like you're right in the you're yep. right in the mix of it right now, aren't you? So here in Wisconsin, we have uh, two different muskie openers. There's is the uh, southern muskie opener which that is anything below highway 10. And then there's a northern muskie opener that is above highway 10. Each a different date. The southern opener is always the first weekend of May. The northern opener is always Memorial Day weekend. Okay. And is it just like a bum rush of muskie anglers getting out there? I mean, is it like World yes. War Three out there? Yes, it is. Especially depending where you go. Like there's yeah. a reason why for... I don't really fish Southern opener anymore just because it's a bum rush to a very limited area. Cause they're not, there's still quite a bit of water set there. It's all the musk anglers from Minnesota, Illinois, Iowa. And of course from Northern Wisconsin, all go down to Southern, Southern uh, Wisconsin trying to get all on the, that limited, uh, waterways to fish them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> then for Northern opener up here, I avoid, uh, Green Bay, because that is literally playing bumper boats out there on opener for muskie. Oh, no. Versus where we went this past weekend, we saw a total of maybe five other muskie boats, and that was it. Well, I would think, I don't know, That's a, it's one of those like rare quarries where it's not like if there's bumper boats, everybody's getting in on the action. It's like... You know, it isn't like this plentiful resource, at least based on what I've read. Yep. Fish of 10,000 casts, or is it 1,000 casts? All I know is it's one of those fish that, like, by and large is considered a needle in a haystack. You're lucky if you get one kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't think that other anglers welcome one another being in close proximity to each other. So is it like our tensions running high, or is there like a level Most of professionalism of and understanding amongst all the guides? There's pretty well a mutual understanding. I mean, there will always be certain people that clash, except that's with anything you do. There'll be always certain people that clash. If their boats are right next to each other, it won't be a good deal. Yeah. So most people are all there for one reason, and that's to catch a muskie. Right. That's because I was curious about that. I didn't know if it was like people are like loosening the – the nuts on the other guy's trailer or any kind of crazy, <laughs> <laughs> any kind of crazy stuff like that goes on. But, uh, now you've been guiding for them off and on. I mean, it looked like yep. when I was looking at your page, it looked like it was, it's something you're kind of, uh, rekindling or firing yep, back I guided up. for once again, it was only kind of part-time. I guided a couple years ago, did that for, you know, for, I guided for a couple years and then this year, I decided to launch my own guiding company okay. and that's more long. So I don't have to work under another guy that gets all the trips themselves and yeah. I just get any overflow. So launch my own company just to, so it's just me. I'm my own boss. No one can tell me what to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> can kind of create my own schedule. 
Well, tell me a little bit about the guiding because it's one of those things, you know, I, I've never guided. I've, I've mm -hmm. don't know if I've ever even been interested in guiding. It's like, it's always kind of there. Like, you know, you, you love the opportunity to educate yep. and take people out and, and show them what you do. But at the same time, it's like, there's this pressure that looms that you got to like deliver. <laughs> but man, you're like, you're trying to deliver a package to somebody that's so rare. Like, it's like the, the mm -hmm. chance of a failure is so great. So, you know, the kind of guys that are going out there with you, I mean, you know, I, I would imagine there's like a conversation that takes place from the get go that says, you know, that to where they understand that, you know, yep. hey, listen, we're going to go out there and we're going to fish hard and, you know, our chances may be good, maybe not be good. But I mean, how are you, yep. you know, when the, when the first conversation or the first, uh, I don't know, email gets sent to you or an inquiry yep. to the guide service, like what is that? What is that? I don't know, that initial phase of conversation like with these folks that are reaching out to you? Well, it all depends on their skill level to a point. So, you know, there's guys that would be hiring me that's been musky fishing for 10, 20 years. And they know what they expect. If it's someone who has never even seen or even heard of a muskie that wants to try it, I need to kind of lower their expectations a little bit. Okay. Because <laughs> they're not, even if the conditions are prime, if the fish are happy, things go wrong. It's muskie fishing. And I've had what should be a phenomenal days and just fish get lost at the boat. Uh I've had times where the conditions were perfect and the muskies just weren't showing themselves. It's, yeah. They make their own rules. Yeah, and they break their own rules. Right. I guess that's the smart thing to kind of first and foremost assess the skill level or get an idea of what you are working with and then tailor the trip based on that. Um, but, yeah, I can totally see that. But. You know, so you're based out of Wisconsin, right? Tell me about yep. the just tell me about just the fishery as a whole, because I'm not super familiar. Like when I think muskie, you know, I know guys that catch them in Chicago. I know mm -hmm. guys that catch them further east of there, up into Quebec and Canada. But I don't know what's like the premier place. Like where does Wisconsin like stand, I guess, on the, yeah. on the landscape of muskie fishing? Like how does it measure up? So Wisconsin, our state fish is the muskie. So that's kind of the first little hint towards. Oh. So the way I word it is Wisconsin is a great place for numbers. Like there's some fisheries around here where I, I if I wanted to guide them, I could almost guarantee a muskie because of how high dense of dense the fishery is. Versus there are some of the fisheries that I work where uh, one of the lakes I currently fish, and it's I will never guide it just because the density is so low. I've caught a total of two muskies out of that lake, and that's it. So you won't guide it if there's too many fish in it, and you won't guide <laughs> it if there's too few. You got to find that, like, sweet spot in the middle. That's kind of where I, I'm at. I guess I could see why on both of them. I, I guess, you know, I don't know. Like, what what's the reasoning behind an area that's just – super fruitful is it just to protect and not blow out the fishery or, or what it isn't it's a little bit of that except for me it's almost musky fishing isn't supposed to be easy mm, and that's okay. where i more along come from like the i'll be mostly guiding on lakes and all the lakes i got have 50 inch muskies that was that's kind of the top tier you know once you cross that magic line on the bump board you're probably getting a replica like one of these guys behind here yeah <laughs> I will not guide a fishery if it does not 
have a chance at 50 inches. That's pretty and cool. That's, so I, I know that's like the trophy mark, but um, okay. So, so there's a lot of muskie, clearly, if it's your state fish. And clearly there's big ones. And I know a couple of other Wisconsin guys. I had uh, mm -hmm. uh, Justin Hinkle die was on here recently, and he's a Wisconsin guy. Uh, he's just catches all kinds of fish, uh, muskie among those. But, uh, you know, guiding for them. So I guess you – do you have – there's a season for them. So now does yep. that mean that there's a time period that you're not allowed to guide for them, or is it a time yep. period where it's just – Okay, so what are you doing in the off season? Are you guiding for other things, or what? So what during is... our off season, it will be. It all depends on where an off season is. So from where I'm at, most of my waters are above Highway 10, so it'll be from Memorial Weekend to we ice up. So which ice up all depends on what the weather wants to do too. Except typically, I'm fishing till end of November, sometimes into December. All depending on what the weather decides to do. So during my off season, I do work a full-time job, except them when I'm not working, I'm on Google Maps, looking at new areas, trying to think, okay, that lake looks good. I'll go here, check that out during, I, during the off season, see if the structure is as good as it looks. Uh, spend time on the DNR website, trying to see what lakes are stocked, which lakes are not stocked, which ones do not have muskie. Yeah. Which ones do have musky? Yeah. Because <laughs> there are a lot of lakes and rivers here in Wisconsin that, if you look at the website, do not have musky. For people listening, I'm putting the do not in air quotes. Because I found here in Wisconsin, I honestly, I'll fight the argument. There are just as many musky rivers and lakes as there are trout rivers in Montana. Oh, wow. That's interesting because that's what I was thinking. Like, I don't understand too much the concept of like the seasons there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, you don't get a lot of that in like the South where I'm from. No. So I'm like, it, if you're it, guiding for them, I would think that like those like off seasons are critical time periods to kind of like scout your waters, yep. figure out where the fish are at. I mean, are you allowed to do that or is like you're not even allowed to pursue them? You're not allowed to pursue them, except there will be other things. So before muskie opens, I'll be primarily guiding in smallmouth. So okay. we're allowed to, uh, this just happened in the past couple of years where Wisconsin now has a year-round smallmouth bass uh, catch or release fishery. Now, the, so like the, the fish oh, themselves, are they are they like is that again? I get caught up on that. It's like you know, you want you you want to know where they're at so you can stay on the bite. I mean, are they are is, is this a fish that's co like constantly moving, or are they kind of like a territorial? Like they kind of stay in a specific range. Like, do you, are there like I'll say it like this: Are there certain fish you know that fish? Like you've seen that <laughs> fish. You know, oh, that's, that's where that's where, that's where Big Betty lives, and oh, that's that's <laughs> where you know Giant George is over there. Like <laughs> you know, I know well, some species. Why do you are bring like, that up? So the way it works. Most smaller fish, when I say smaller, I mean less than 47 inches. They'll travel a little bit more. Okay. And this will vary fishery to fishery to a point, too. Except for everything that I personally fish and guide, the, there are big fish spots, and there's going to be the same big fish there year after year. The only reason they would leave is, one, they died, or two, an even bigger fish beat them out of that spot. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's 
that's a pretty gnarly thought to think <laughs> that they're like have that kind of like social structure or that like pecking order mm-hmm. to know that when you catch a big one, you caught like the champion of that area. It's a pretty yeah. cool thought because <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I'm like, you know, and I want to kind of dive into the guiding thing a little bit because I'm like, man, it's just, you know, it's such a challenging thing, but then like you're, you're fly fishing for them. So tell me a little bit about the pro- the approach to chasing this fish. Let's say if you're on the boat with a client, yep. I mean, what, what is, I guess during the peak season, what is like the search pattern? What features are you looking for? I'll say while you're actively working the fish, like what, what is the, what is the nature of the conversation between you and the person that's with you yep. the experience? Cause I'm, I'm trying to like visualize the experience a lot because I think people will want to know, but I know myself, yeah. like I, this is something I want to do within like the next year. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to like kind of get the juices flowing on this musky thing. Cause it's like, it's, and I, I feel like it's one of those species I need to catch <clears throat> before I start like traveling out of the U S it's like, you, you gotta like, mm-hmm. you gotta like pay your respects to your like the keystone species. Fish. Right. Before you do that. But, um, anyway, I'm, I'm throwing myself off track here, but again, just <laughs> the nature of the trip, um, the approach, like, like how are your, are, are you sight casting for them or is this blind Something. casting with a fly rod? So I would say 90% of the time it will be blind casting. There are rare chances at uh, sightfish muskie, except that's more of a t- right time, right place kind of a deal. And with the lakes, it will be a little bit more different versus the rivers. The rivers and lakes fish completely different in that sense. So in the early spring, both the muskies that in rivers and lakes, they'll be up toward sh- shallow water. By that, I mean five feet of water or less. Okay. Because they're uh, the muskies we saw this past weekend. Some were still spawning. Some were just got done spawning. So they're up there getting their deed done. Then after the spawn, they'll kind of hang out there, build up their feed. And I'm willing to bet the way uh, the temperatures are setting up this year, they're going to move deep here pretty soon. They're going to move offshore and move more into that 15, 20 foot range for a depth in lakes versus rivers always kind of be, if you have ever fished a river, you'll be fishing eddies. You'll be fishing kind of classic brown trout structure, big brown trout structure, down logs, big boulders, big holds, anything where there's a little bit of slack current. There are times when muskies will fight heavy current, but it isn't often. That's typically when it's extremely hot because there does come a time where, and we'll see how it goes this year, except I'm willing to bet it comes early where we'll actually stop muskie fishing during the summer. Because once the water temps, for me, once they reach 78, I will not target them. Because you start to reach a lethal, it could be potentially lethal for the muskies. Okay. Once you get above that, building up amino acids when you're fighting them and just due to lack of oxygen in the water. Typically you'll get a longer season on a river versus a lake just because a river generates oxygen, you know, just through flowing over rocks and building oxygen that way. So the way the guide trips for me would work, I'd figure out what exactly they're looking for. They're just looking for just their first muskie or if they want a trophy hunt. Cause that'll be a total different 
approach on how I'll take you. Mm-hmm. If you're just looking to for your first muskie, or even just looking to try and get a few smaller fish in more numbers, I'll probably take you to one of the local lakes or one of the uh, smaller rivers around here, just because they are a little bit higher density. Except where there's still a good chance of getting a big one. So, once I figure that out from the client, I'll address their skill levels. And it could be skill levels not even from fly fishing. It could be, oh, I've caught them on gear before. So, at least then you kind of know at least how the muskies will be reacting all that. Or it could be, a, I have a trip coming up here, a guy that's done a lot of saltwater fly fishing. Okay. And that's something I personally love because it shows me you can cast long distance and accurately. Those that would be very important coming up here. Yeah. And now are there like deciding factors that will dictate like, you know, I don't know, your approach or what the day is going to look like? Because I would think that like, I mean, if it's a sunny day as opposed yeah. to like a sunny, calm day as opposed to like if you wake up in the morning and you got thunderstorms rolling in, it's blowing 25 miles an hour. Is there anything that's going to keep you off the water? Those are pretty much like we're grinding today. Like we're, we're you know, we're going. Obviously, I mean, obviously not if it's going to be dangerous on the water, yeah. but I mean. That's about the only thing that would keep us off is it actually being dangerous. Yeah. If it's pouring rain, we're still going. Now, fly it fishing. Hmm. Uh, the people that are coming with you, are they bringing their own fly gear or is it like provided and like the yeah, actual flies themselves? Is this something where you'll make suggestions like, hey, you want to throw this color? <laughs> you want to throw this? I don't know. I'm not a fly yeah. fisherman either. This size. So um, it would be, I always will supply all the equipment. So if someone wants to bring their own rods, if they have their own flies that they love, you know, those are more welcome to come with. So at the same time, I'm willing to bet you'll be moving to one of my flies because this is what yeah. they're eating now. Right. <laughs> this past weekend, their size didn't matter this past weekend. We'll word it like that. They're eating stuff, you know, this big, 14 inches long. Oh, and they're cool. also okay. eating tiny little things like that, you know, five inches long. The main thing that we figured out matter last weekend was that they had, it had to have yellow in the color. That's interesting. So it's okay. for lakes that we fish is pretty typical they just yeah. like yellow because i wanted to get into like how they act as a predator and like i don't know like how specific they are with certain patterns or how opportunistic yeah. they are but um you know and, and i'm uh i'm thinking too like is there specific bite windows is this one of those fish where like oh you got to get up you got to be out there at the butt crack of dawn it's a morning yep. bite it's an evening bite are you running trips at nighttime i know it's sometimes nocturnal <laughs> fish or yep. um uh, because I, I didn't know if this is one of those ones where, like, if the sun is high and it's a bluebird sky, it's going to be damn hard to find them or, or what? Yep, what it would be, it would vary on the uh, body of water we would be going on, and I would kind of change it up based on the weather, too. So if it was bright, clear skies, like it was this past weekend, we were working clear water, but we were working it deeper than usual. Since it was so bright and clear, they'd like to either hide right in the weeds or they'll be on just outskirts of the weeds. And we end up finding them just on the outskirts. Versus if it's cloudy, they'll tend to push up even shallower just because they feel a little bit of cover from the sun. Then there are bite windows, 
And here's where I'll get a little bit uh, controversial of you and say, <laughs> going the musket world, people are firm, a lot of people, I won't say everyone, a lot of people are firm believers in majors and minors. And what that is based on is the moon phase. People are very firm about the muskies will only eat or even follow during a major or minor. Mm. Or during a good moon phase in which the better moon better moon phases would be uh full moon and new moon. Okay. Versus I do I've from my personal experience, I've figured out that it very much depends on the body of water you're on. Like uh, when we go down to Tennessee and fish down there, I figure out they very much do follow the, that rule of the bite window where it's all based on the majors and minors. And even Minnesota is kind of that same point. Except uh, that's one of the last things I personally look at is uh, when the majors and minors are. And my reasons for that is every single one of my big fish here in Wisconsin, and I literally mean every single one of my big ones, when I say that over 48, you know, and 50 inch class fish have come outside of a major or minor. Okay, that's interesting. So some sometimes they break the rules. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I know like when I watch a lot of musky fishing videos or i read about them you know it seems like a lot of the strikes and the bites happen at boat side because of their yep. tendency like we mentioned a lot of time to like very inquisitively or you know curiously follow a bait and then you know like you see and i know that you've probably done this with conventional gear when they start doing that characteristic figure eight at boat side but i'm thinking like with a fly rod is that even an option it's like it just yes, seems it like now, how do you pull that off with fly gear? Because I look at that, I'm like, <laughs> I just can't, I can't see it. It seems like one of those ones where you bring the fly to the boat, and if they don't bite it by the time they get there, then you're out of luck. I mean, how do you pull that off? I mean, how do you? The one would be is the gear we're actually using for them with uh, fly rods. You know, we're not using little trout fly rods, you know, five, six weights or less. Yeah. The average rod we're using is a 10 weight or a 12 weight. Those rules are meant you know, for tarpon. They're meant for, you know, 100 plus pound fish. Okay. So they got a little good stiffness to them. And we're still performing that same figure eight. I personally prefer old, depending on the situation. Except here's where I'll get a little controversial on the musky fly fishing side of things. A lot of the guys, when a musky would eat boat side, they would let it eat. And let the fish try to swim away a little bit, then they'll strip set into that fish. Okay. Oh, hang on a minute. Hmm? Oh, you went mute there for a second. Oh, like, sorry. It, it like muted you. It's okay. Got to write down when that happened. So you said <laughs> that you said then they strip set and and then what? Then they strip set and then you know fight it out, fight the fish out, put it in the net. Versus my approach with the figure eight, I come from a more gear standpoint of how to set the hook on them from uh, the gear standpoint. The way I do it is I literally, when they eat both sides, try to break the rod. <laughs> you won't break the rod. I've broken a rod once doing this, and that's it. So if you're basically 
throwing your full force and sending that hook, and I have not lost one doing it that way yet. Okay. Just because, in my opinion, if you let the fish swim off of the fly a little bit, there's a good chance it could just let go mm -hmm. before you actually set the hook into them. And, like, the structure of their mouth, because I know that, like, a, a fly rod, even maybe the heavier fly rods, if you're – are you setting back or are you setting, like, like up? <laughs> so it would be more – even with conventional gear, I set the hook kind of the same way. With the fly rod, I'm if it eats it at a further distance, I'll strip set. Which okay. all that means is pulling the line through your hand and right. hitting them yeah. multiple times. Otherwise, when they eat in the figure eight, it's always down and towards the tail of the fish in the figure eight. Okay. Because I'm Basically, curious, I'm like pulling that fly into its mouth further. Yeah. And like the structure of their mouth uh, is always interesting to me because obviously you have the hazard of the teeth. And yep. the challenges that, that 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 presents, but beyond that, is this like a bony structured jaw that's difficult to penetrate? Is it pretty? Yes, soft? it is. Okay. Yep, it's pretty bony mouth, and I will say, it is bony, but it isn't as bony as a bullfin. Oh, like not many fight. fish have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if your hook is sharp enough to hook a bullfin, then it's good enough for a muskie. Okay. And I personally go through and sharpen all my hooks, you know, the hook file or a metal file. Basically, it's sharp enough. If I'm scared to drop it on my foot, then it's sharp enough. I got you. <laughs> and then, like, the, obviously the teeth. I wonder, like, are these uh, are really a hazard for cutting line, or is this more like a like a grabbing teeth? They and are that, a and hazard then, for cutting and, line. That's why I run a... Uh, wire on all my leaders for both gear okay. and fly and with the fly i'm ever for some of the smaller flies like this i'll use a 30 pound wire otherwise anything above five inches big i'm throwing 40 pound wire okay and like now the fly itself because you've been holding the flies up a few times and yep. you know, some people are listening some people are watching i want you to kind of walk through and you know obviously describe the fly but how are you determining the colors, because I know sometimes people will get really, really like yep. into the weeds on, oh, it's got to be such and such color and such and such this and that. Are you trying to match a, like a, a forage species that's local to them? Does it seem like it really matters? Like, I don't know how opportunistic they are, being that I'm assuming they're kind of like an ambush predator that's just yep. waiting on something sure. to go by. But, uh, you know, how picky are they really being if something's pink or if something is perch colored yeah how do you determining like these yeah, patterns so it all depends on in my personal opinion is color doesn't matter so of course when you look through my boxes you'll see oh i have a lot of browns and yellows oh i have a lot of black and oranges so it's a little bit of uh hypocritical for me to say color doesn't matter i just have my personal favorites yeah like a lot of the lakes that I'm running are perch fisheries where their main forage will be perch. So that's why I've got a lot of flies that are either brown and yellow or olive and yellow. Then I've got a couple of fisheries where their main forage is 18 inch red horse. So I'll be matching uh, yeah. up those colors where black and orange, brown and orange, anything like that, like uh, this guy here. Yeah, I want to see these these flies because it's such an interesting like tool. Are you tying these? Are you buying these? 
a little bit people of that are all people that are only listening like just describe what you're holding there i guess from the size of the the hook <laughs> all the materials that are in that so, is, i mean it's a big fly it looks like a turkey beard I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, so for most musky flies most of them are tied out of uh bucktail so you know the tail on a, a deer yeah. that's what I would say easily 80% or more musket flies tie nowadays is using that material to build it up, build up the base. Okay. Cause I didn't know if you like took a little bit off the back back there. <laughs> <laughs> if you really get into and a bind, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, you kidding. <laughs> nope, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. For those man eating The other musky. part of it would be uh, feathers. Bucktail and feathers is what most musky flies are made of and you can add in you know there's a little bit of flash in there i always like a little bit of flash mm-hmm. some people like a lot of flash i personally there's like a fine fine line for me personally and most of my flies either i'm tying them up myself or i'm buying them okay like i have a bunch of friends that are fantastic tires like i don't have the uh patience anymore for tying some of the real simple stuff i'd rather spend my time Tying something really complicated, like this one's on three different shanks. Something that this took me two or ooh, excuse me, two hours to tie. Mm. Versus if it takes thirty minutes or less to tie, I'd rather spend the money and have someone else do it. Yeah, well, it's a kind of a it's it's kind of a win win because one, you can you can have the pride of knowing that you caught a fish on something you made. Conversely, if you're buying something your buddies are buying, it's like you're supporting. You know, yep. you're supporting your local tires. I know that's a whole culture there, so that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Now, yeah. the the hook itself, because you know, I, I look at these fish, and they're so big. I mean, it's, I mean, that's what gets you. So that that's the easy sell. You know what I mean? The yeah. size of the fish, and I, and I'm just going to imagine something that's 50 inches, 50 plus inches. I mean, that's a formidable animal that probably yeah. possesses some real power. I mean, how big of a hook are you having to use? And then on the other side of that, I know kind of from a conservation standpoint, are y- are y'all required by law to like do anything with the hook? Is do you have to like shave the barb down? Anything like anything like that? Um, you do not have to debarb the hook. Some people do just out of personal personal preference. Personally, for me, I leave the barb on. It's not going to do any harm to me or to fish. I've had plenty of these hooks in me. Yeah. So if I'm basically my rule is if I'm willing to have that hook in me, it'll be fine for the fish. Right. Because they're a hell of a lot tougher than I am. Yeah. Well, people throw those uh like big giant bucktail spinners with like multiple yep. treble hooks in them too. So I guess I I didn't even think about that. So it can't be too um you know, I'm sure they're not too strenuous or, or stringent on on that. But um, you know, on the, on the other side of that, you know, you're talking about a fish that's so big that uh I mean, what is the fight? even comparable to because i see them jumping i mean is it like a a very acrobatic fighter the fight itself is more outrated like a smallmouth where it's more bulldogging and they come right to the boat except then it's right around the boat it's kind of where the chaos is yeah most of the chaos from fighting the fish is through the panic because you don't get to come to these fish too often so it's panic Going for the giant net than the panic of trying to get in the giant net. That's where things get entertaining. And you see yeah. some of the best in people and some of the worst in people. 
Because I think that that is where and a very important topic then comes up because it's like I know that proper fish handling is very much like in that community of anglers like scrutinized like you're holding it out of the water too much you shouldn't hold it out of the water at all the way that you're holding them the way you're supporting them is it vertical if is it not vertical but i also know that the nature of the fight is like get them to the boat as fast as you like, yep. get that sucker in the net quick but the quicker you do that the more you're dealing with a green fish yep. now you're taking the fight to shore <laughs> taking the fight into the boat. Now you got the potential of this thing flopping out and landing on the surface and smacking itself around. What is like your approach to like proper fish handling and ensuring that you're, you're, you, you're keeping yourself safe. Yep. I mean, if an animal that big can, they can know, mess you up, it can mess you up and then it can mess itself up. But like, what is, I don't know, man, like what is, I mean, I guess every fish is different. You only have so much control over it, but like, what is yeah. like your, the steps you take to kind of, you know, make sure you're taking care of the fish, taking care of yourself, getting yep. whatever photos or whatever you need just to get the hook out and all that stuff. Yeah, of course. So kind of my rule is I'm one of the guys that is get it into the net now because I'd rather have that group fish healthy. And even if it's still green, I'd rather deal with it in my hands than potentially if the fight lasts more than a minute or two. It could lead to them to die after you release them. It could be a lead to a poor, you know, post-release death. Yeah. Which is so. Once it's in the net, the first thing I do is see where it's hooked. How well is it hooked? Either I'm grabbing a long needle nose pliers to unhook it, or I grab a hook cutter. I have Nipex hook hook cutters. The one we got last week, and we. First hook came out nice, and then we saw the second hook in it. It's like, yep, we're snipping that now. So caught all three hooks out the treble hook. Okay. Then once uh, the hook the hook points are gone and the barbs are gone, you can just easily slide the rest of that hook out. Are you de-hooking them in the net over yes. the side of the boat? Or okay, because I look at those nets too. I might either like I'm thinking like the kind of net it's gonna take to like to, to be able to. Uh, Contain. <laughs> well, they're themselves are big enough to fit me in it. Yes. <laughs> and I uh, fit 60 plus in sturgeon in that same net, too. Mm -hmm. And it's so you'll treat the net as its own live well. Right. Okay. Because I see and some people use like a almost like a sling or something. Like it's like a, I don't even know what you call it. They're like two poles with like a, with like a piece of. Oh, fabric yeah. or something under it uh cradle yeah because i didn't know if you had a if you favored one of the over the, i mean i guess uh, they'd be easier to get them with the net but uh for me it's i prefer the net over the cradle for a couple of reasons one it's easier to do instead of that for sure with the cradle is a two-man job except then the other issue you run into with the cradle when you're pulling that fish into the cradle guess where your face is Compared to where uh -oh. the fish is and the bait is. Yeah. If all of a sudden it comes unhooked, guess where that bait's going? Ugh. Going right into your face. And I've seen it more often than not that as soon as a muskie gets in the net, it unhooks itself. Yeah. That's funny how that works. <laughs> yep. What? So, and then like on top of that too, it's like, you know, a lot of guys, it's like, uh, you know, you want to get those measurements. You want to get at yep. least a length. 
Are you putting these things on a scale for weight or is this more of a length game? It's more of a length game. Um, I just run a 60 inch bump board and that's controversial enough as enough. Some people don't measure it at all anymore or they'll use a floating ruler in the water and put it next to it. For me, I prefer the bump board just because it gives me an accurate measurement and I can do that in literally a second. It's like, okay, 44 inches, get up for a picture, boom, boom, back in the water for the release. Yep. Uh, you're probably caught enough of them by now that like, you know, I get this way with like bow fins, the same thing for me yeah. or, or like, or like a long nose gar, which like you want that 30 inch bow fin, you want that 50 inch long nose gar. But after you catch enough of them, you, you know, if it's even worth measuring. Yep. Um, so like, I didn't know if you're even entertaining measuring a 40 inch fish or. If it's for a friend or a client, I will for mm -hmm. me personally, if it's not even close to 50, sometimes they don't even get a picture. Yeah. You got a pretty good gauge with the eyeball. Oh, yeah. That's like 50.025. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Like a good example that was a couple, one of my buddy's first muskies. You know, you wanted to measure and all that. And I told him, oh, that's, it's 34. And, you know, I told him it's 34. You put it on the bump board, 34 and a half. What difference does that half inch make when it's that air quote small? Right. Now, are you taking like a really like detailed and scientific approach to this? Like I know my buddy, Andrew Ragus, who does a lot of musky fishing as well. Yeah. He keeps like a, this massive log book of like what the conditions were that day, the time that the bite came. I mean, every detail, the length of the fish, the time of the day, the location, the color it bit to the point that you're accumulating. I mean, are, are you one of those guys? That's like a, I used to be, I used to be that for every all single in fish. here now. Yeah. <laughs> the only time I actually record it is once it reaches a certain size. Okay. That's when I start caring about because I actually have several fish actually named. Yeah. So several of the big fish named. <laughs> it's funny how That's that when works. I start <laughs> carrying. Because I kind of treat the big ones like I'm chasing a big buck. Yeah. Like where I'm literally trying to pattern it. Okay, it showed itself then. Wonder if it'll show itself under these same conditions now. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. Except it's when they do, I'd make sure that's a mental note or I literally will write that down. Okay, this fish likes this moon phase, likes this time, can go down that whole list. There's a fish I have named, uh, let's see here, that one is Jaws. That fish, I know it likes the full moon. It will feed the day before the day up and the day after the full moon. And it will feed at noon or at midnight, and that's it. <laughs> How are you identifying it? Like, does they have a distinct pattern, a scar? Some of them will have a distinct distinct pattern that one specifically it's the biggest one in that river that i've ever found mm. so i know it's the same one uh, another guy knows that knows about it has described it as a fish you see the head and it keeps going and going and going going oh there's the tail Jeez. a lot wow. of it is spot and size and some of them you know they're muskies they beat up on each other some of them have unique mm. scar yeah yeah that's funny it's a, there's a few species out there that are like that where it's like people kind of know that it's funny and, and i know we we mentioned that the white sturgeon thing 
uh, that's another one. It's like when I was out there, like the, the locals kept referencing, like we, I was with my buddy, Steve Carroll, and we were at this like local tackle shop and he was having like sturgeon talk with this other guy. And he's like, Oh yeah. But a couple months ago, I, I hooked a bridge runner. And then, uh, <laughs> God, what was the other one's name? It was just, it was almost comical, but you know, it's like a real thing. Like these, these fish are kind of like, you know, it's, they, be, they like ascend to this legendary level. Yep. So it's, uh, it's always funny when fish get to a point where they're identifiable like that, <laughs> very unique, but anyway, so you fish in a really dynamic fishery. I mean, with the yes. lake sturgeon, the suckers, the Buffalo, I mean, a Buffalo is a sucker, but the Buffalo and then like your smaller subsets of suckers from red horse to things like that. The small mouth, the pike, the walleye. So I'm, Oh, I love to ask this of guides where like Hmm. you occupy so much of your time chasing this one freaking fish when it's your day off. What does like, what does Justin like to fish for? Or does the start, I mean, does does the muskie have your heart or is there like another fish that's really like, so for you, on my days off, I'm musky fishing. I got you. <laughs> like I'm probably going to go after one of the ones I have named. Spend a whole day chasing that one fish. <laughs> yeah. And probably so, won't get it, but. <laughs> and then, and then, and that's cool. So like going down that path, then I always got to wonder when did, like, when did the fascination with musky start? Because like I said, you'll have so many fish. But for whatever reason, this mm-hmm. one has captured your imagination more so than others. So then I always wonder, like, okay, well, what is it? Because some pe- some people will hang their hat on smallmouth. Or some yeah. guys will just be like, I'm a walleye guy. Bump these other fish. Like, what? why musky? Like, when did that start? I, I, I don't know. You know, <laughs> when did you get into it? You know what I mean? As far as the actual age, I'm blanking hard. So I grew up yeah. from my history as a fisherman – I grew up fishing rivers, except it wasn't, I come from a family of farmers. You know, it was fishing, it was something we did every once in a while. Yeah. I just happened to be the one that took it and ran with it. And the muskies have always been being, I'm originally from Southern Minnesota. We would see, you know, magazine covers, oh, here's this giant fish on the cover. It's like, ooh, what is that? So kept wanting to learn more and more about it. And it was during a 4-H project back when I was 13, I want to say, probably even 12. You know, did a actual 4-H project on muskie. Went to a muskie zinc meeting. That's kind of a big uh, group up here where, well, nationwide, actually. Yeah. Went to one of their meetings, and pretty much as soon as I went to the meeting, I got, oh, how do I want to word it? It sucked me in because yeah. they had a big replica of this giant 55. It's like, oh, my God, I didn't know we had fish that big up here. Yeah. <laughs> so I got more involved with that group of guys. And, you know, they kind of took me under the wing and started showing me, okay, this is the gear you need. Here's kind of how the figure eight. And then with the musket fly fishing part of it, this was before it took off. It's kind of a big thing now. Mm-hmm. So when I first started, their Facebook wasn't part of it. Their so the social media was uh, rare to be found. Only thing I ever found on, I saw that there was a couple people doing it, and that was it. 
It's like, you know what? I'm getting the fly fishing, so I'm going to try to catch a musket and a fly. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> it yeah, took me many that's what I'm years. Like, it's such a hard thing, but it's obviously, a, you know, when you're inquisitive enough, or, the, or you're just of the nature to want to challenge yourself as an angler. It's sort of like mm-hmm. a, it's like a, a necessarily a necessary skill set to learn. It's like, well, you, you know, you got to like, in the spirit of being a well-rounded fisherman, you got to be able to have that in your arsenal yep. to be able to do. But um, but I also wonder, it's like somebody's got to teach you. I mean, did you have I mean, who was like your yeah. who's taught you? Like, it, it's just like that's a hard one to just go buy and then <laughs> to like buy and then get there's a possum running around my backyard. This is exactly what I was telling you about. <laughs> telling you, this is Florida, but um, sorry. So, but I'm like, I'm thinking, like, for me, my granddad taught me how to fly fish. I would have been so lost to try to do that <laughs> on my own without his help. So, like, who, who showed you the ropes on that? I'm 100% self-taught. <laughs> like I got into fly fishing back when I was 12. That I remember distinctly. Bought a $20 Walmart combo. Literally the rod and reel were crap. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. it was like I want to learn how to fly fish and just kind of ran with it further than my family even expected. Then it was, uh, a, we met a gentleman, ended up, Weirdly enough, being a friend of my mom's on a random river, and he kind of showed me a little bit, bit tri- tips and tricks and stuff I just picked along the way and just figuring it out myself mostly. Yeah. Because at the time, there was no one to help me figure out fly fishing for muskies, so I just kind of had to figure it out myself. <laughs> and it was studying the uh, gear side of it's kind of what taught me the most. Because it's the same fish. You just have to take that same concept and bring it over to the fly fishing world. Yeah. Well, then, like, the the fish itself, it's like, you know, it's one of those ones that I think can just drive you crazy. But then, obviously, <laughs> I guess the, you know, I, I know enough now talking to so many musky guys. You also have northern pike there. Yep. Which seems like the same fish, looks no. the same. But clearly behaves different. Why yeah. wouldn't you just stick with that? It's like it's an easier version of almost musky, the same fish. The easiest answer is one musky get bigger on average. You know, we don't got those European sized pike here in the United States. Yeah. If I was in Europe, it'd probably be a different story story. I'll be just chasing pike the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's also it's some you want to you like the abuse. You like the pain. You like the grind because it, I personally do not like things that come easy. Yeah. If you're not willing to put into work, it musky are not the species for you because <laughs> they will test you mentally and physically. Well, I can't imagine the heartbreakers that probably keep you up at night. Just thinking yeah. of like that, my, my few encounters that I've had with the fish, it was I'll never forget it because they these weren't big. I mean, these were not big musky. They may have been 40 inches tops. But I do just remember, like, I don't know, man. It's, I don't even know how to describe, like, the look of seeing one of those things coming across the top of the water. It was, it was almost eerie because they didn't come at mm-hmm. it with, like, a real, like, terrifying speed. It was, like, this bizarre, like, just, like, there's a, a it, it seemed like there was a level of intelligence and, like, curiosity that was far beyond 
a lot of fish just seem very mindless. Like they're just programmed yeah. for eating and they, you know, they're, they're supposed to, they're supposed to do certain things. And I never forget like these fish, just like the way that they followed my lure was, was so inquisitive. I'm like, that isn't like an intelligent animal. Like that is a, a puzzle that's requires being solved. Now, there's probably people listening. They're like, "This guy don't know nothing." Them, those are some stupid fish. I'm saying, and you you always see the outliers that are caught on like a yeah a, a jig. Those are the ones that throw me off. It's like when people are like ice fishing for like perch, and then they catch a big muskie. Like, what 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 the hell's happening here? <laughs> well, it's once again one of those things where muskies have rules, but they also break them all the time. Oh uh, yeah, that's good though, like but it the, keeps you guessing. But you know, I guess when you've failed enough time, you can't appreciate those moments where you catch, I'm sure, a 50-inch-plus fish without having first logged all the failures. You know, yep. it's like if you haven't failed a thousand times, you won't really enjoy the one good time. So I guess I can see that. It's like it's like the, like the sweetest of victory, but the most bitter of – because on the flip side of that, I just can't – I mean, I'm just – I don't know if you're probably like me, like – I get really shaken up and like impacted yep. by losing a big fish. Like it messes yep. me up. Like it really screws, like screws me up. So I would think like after you have busted your ass for days just to see one <laughs> and then to finally have like all the stars align and like it, and it, and, you, and it finally happens and that fish bites. And then you've got to see, like, it's up to you. Like once it's on the hook, like you, you've got to seal the deal. Yep. And, then you, and then you screw it up. Oh, I just can't imagine. Which it's also one of those things you could do everything right. And you still lose it. Yeah, that just... happens more than I care to say. One of my good buddies, he's going to get his 50. It's just a matter of time. He's just had... He does everything right, so then all of a sudden he still loses it. He's mm -hmm. ready. <laughs> like a good example, uh, two years ago, I knew about this fish. I knew it was going to eat that next day. So he hops in the boat with me. And we're working the structure, and I was kind of setting him up for the right spot. He made the castle. He was using a 16-inch fly at the time. Fly lands. He gives it one little strip. Just it looked like a submarine coming up. Ugh. And I yelled his name and he already saw it. So he was it was game on. Another strip kind of shot up to it, and the very last strip, it inhaled that whole 16-inch fly. He strip set into it. Everything was going good. I was running for the net. Got the net extended and it broke his leader. Oh no. The only thing that made us feel good was we saw the fish throw the fly. Okay. So it didn't have any hooks and left. Because that's it. like the double whammy. It's like now you gotta wonder if you killed a, a killed mm -hmm. a fish. But uh, geez, that's crazy. Just uh, well, you know what? You say that it's y'all state fish, so I guess that kind of like answers my next question. But I, you know, I always think it just seems like by and large across the country, big, scary-looking, spooky fish don't have great public like perception <laughs> you know what i mean it's like people get yep. scared it's like in the, like they get cast into a certain category of fish it's like ooh, yucky do. like yucky gross fish how are they received in that area like i mean is this a fish that's like that people are welcoming of and enjoy or is there's like the walleye guys like all oh, them things are eating up that's, all the walleye and there's a hard line there 
<laughs> I would say the very most people would be welcoming of them, especially here in Wisconsin. Go to Minnesota. It's a different story in Minnesota where it isn't, you know, a war, but it's you might as well be a war between walleye guys and musky guys. Because, oh. you know, some there's walleye guys will go out, catch them on purpose, and just kill them just because they don't want them in their lake because they're eating all the walleye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I've seen more walleye in walleye stomachs than anywhere else. Right. Well, it's funny it's because like you think of it, it, it being a fish that it's hard enough to catch, like when you want to catch them. And it sort of like defies the idea that they're just swimming around mindlessly eating yep. anything that gets in their path. So it's like, I don't know. I just, I get always get fascinated because every area has got that. You know, we mentioned alligator gar before the start of yeah. this episode. And it's like, you know, well, you know what? They're a little bit like that. I actually think. I don't know, man. People aren't that crazy about other gar folks get like that with. Alligator gar yeah. are actually somewhat welcomed in the areas that they have a stronghold, which is nice to see. But yeah. uh, it's just funny when you see that. It's like, oh, it's big. It's scary. It's got mean teeth. <laughs> it must be the devil. It's like, you know, it's just funny how that works. But, yep, you know, the exactly. other side of it that I get curious about is, you know, I, you know, I always wonder, like, who, who is – making these trips like the the client base and i asked this of yeah. so many i have had other guys on this podcast that are guides and i always get so curious because like you know i envy that like that opportunity you have to like meet mm -hmm. new people it's 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 fascinating you know what i mean like you get you get to be a steward of this fish in like such a cool way to where it's like you're you're speaking on their behalf you're educating yeah. people some people like you said some folks are coming they they they're equipped with the knowledge. They just want to experience the fishery. Yeah. Other folks, though, I mean, are you getting people from different parts of the country? Are you getting yep. international clients? No international clients yet, except that I know a bunch of guys that get uh, clients from all the way from Sweden. Mm, okay. Because even when I was over there on a trip a couple years ago over in Europe, anyone that had pike fish over there, all they wanted to talk about was musky over musky, here. Yeah. <laughs> That makes oh, sense. I guess that, yeah. most of them are from. I've got a trip coming up that the guy lives in our way, and that's it. He just wants to learn more, and I love that. Okay, yeah. And that's I have cool. people coming from out of state that have never seen one. They want to experience what it's like. Yeah, because I figure some of it's the fishery too. You know, you, you know, you get the guys that like the bass guys that mm -hmm. will travel the entire world to catch largemouth bass. You know, they'll go to California, Mexico, yep. Canada, Japan, all to chase the same <laughs> fish. But it's, uh, you know, and it's easy to sit back and be like, what an idiot. You know, what a dummy. But I also understand it's like sometimes the experience transcends beyond just the fish. It's like you want, yeah. you want to know culture. You want to know geographic areas. It's different layer yeah, to sure. it, but it's pretty cool. And it's so, something that – uh you know, some guides are very specialized in certain areas of the musky world. Like anyone that guides on Lake St. Clair for musky, they're pretty much known as a place, if you want to hire a guide, you're going there to learn how to throw rubber for a mm -hmm. musky. That's kind of their big thing on that fishery versus I'm here doing it on the fly, so some people want to learn how to do it that way. Yeah. Because it is 
as similar as it is to the gear fishing for them, it is different. Well, if I ever come up there and fish with you, it ain't going to be with a fly. I got to knock, I got to knock the species off first. Even if I got to <laughs> stick a treble hook in a sucker's head, you know, maybe I don't want it to come that easy, but I'm just saying it's like, it's one of those fish I just want to encounter first yeah, and, like, of course. and like hold and respect and know. Um, but I would not be opposed to trying with the fly. I, I actually, you know, I got buddies down there in Texas that do a lot of, uh, and this is a growing culture of fishing too, is the fly fishing for alligator gar. Yep. And I don't want to like jump off the musky thing and keep it, you know, it's just hard to not like have some parallels because it's two big fish with teeth. Granted, yep. behaviorally, just they're not even comparable. It's just two co completely different fish. But, um, you know, you're getting a lot of these guys that are that are like specifically fly fishing for alligator. Gar. A lot of people think of that as a species that's just this dumb, you know, <laughs> slow moving, eat a chunk of bloody carp off the bottom. But they will be an active predator or at least yep. an ambush predator that if, you know, if you put it in front of their face, if all the stars align, you can catch them on a our official lure. And I, I got some buddies down there that do it. I'm like, man, I've caught a lot of alligator guard. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I've caught a lot of them, but I've got enough experience with them. But I would love to do that. I like I would Same. love so much to go catch one on the fly. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, but anyway, so. You know, you're only able to even chase these things during certain windows, but I know yeah. you're a very well-rounded and passionate angler, and I know Muskie has your heart, but there's got to be like a solid number two. Like, you can't, when you can't <laughs> chase the Muskie, so, what's the other fish for you? Like, what is like, okay. Honestly, it what it is, and it only kind of started in the past couple years, don't get me wrong, I love my smallmouth. Small bass always have a special place in my heart. It was, that was what my first fish on a fly rod was. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, before muskie is what I like to chase. Except kind of the species that's my number two as of right now would be the lake sturgeon. Ugh, yeah. That's and that's more one. along because they get big, they yeah. fight <laughs> like crazy. And they're, I wouldn't say they're easy, except they're easier than muskie. Now, what it the heck is the approach for, like, strain. what is the approach for that? I mean, are, is it meat that they're eating or, well, it's, of course it's meat, but I mean, uh, is it like, <laughs> is it fish? Is it worms? Is it like crustacean? What are they, like, what is the, how are you finding them? Or is it like, or is it like catfishing? It would be similar. So it is kind of like catfishing. And what a lot of it is, I've had some opportunity to even sight fish them with a fly rod. You can't come with the fly rod. That just isn't. I'll put it like this. I I prefer catching a musket and a fly rod for the same reason. I prefer catching a sturgeon on a cat on a catfishing rod. Mm -hmm. For the gear rod for a muskie, the gear rod seems a little stiff for my personal like. I like a little bit of give to it. That's why I prefer the fly rod. Versus on the opposite end, the fly rod you need for sturgeon. Is almost too stiff compared to I'd rather use a fiberglass catfishing rod. Yeah. I like something that takes a little bit of the fight out of my body. Right. Because even when using the catfishing rods, I still had bruises all over my belly from fighting them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Versus I caught a few on my musky gear rod and that hurt. <laughs> fighting uh -huh. them was not fun. It's they're a fish I enjoy the fight on. 
but you can uh, yeah did i hear you right you can catch them on a fly rod yes ah i don't think i've ever seen that <laughs> that's crazy i that can't is even a imagine very... that what's that I said, I can't even imagine that. That's nuts. I had no idea that they would eat that. That's like, you're blowing my mind right and now. And it would be very similar things to what I'm throwing on the smaller side, except smaller stuff for muskies is the exact same thing I'm throwing because they will eat live suckers on bottom too. Okay. And it's more along right place, right time. I was like, oh, here's a sturgeon and two feet of water. Wonder what happens if I cast it in front of it like I would a carp with a fly rod. Put it in front of it, and it just literally swam up to it and sucked up the whole fly. <laughs> that's nuts. I would have never thought that. It's so interesting. But because uh, that's one of those – that's another one of those ones that uh, – you know what interests me is the photos of them through the ice. Like, I'm, like, yeah. born and raised in the south. I, like, get uncomfortable if it gets below – anything below 60. I'm, like, dying of the cold. <laughs> But I like. I also know that, like, as like an adventure loving angler, it's like you you gotta like have the experience of staring at a hole, yep, and the ice and trying to pull a big fish through it. Um, so that's like it's like one of those fish that I went down this deep rabbit hole of like researching. Like, I want to know about <laughs> ice fishing, and then um, and I'd seen your photos, but it's like that's one of those ones just like a muskie. I mean, everybody gets captivated by a big fish, but like, it's such yeah. a big, like gnarly looking prehistoric, like monster fish. Uh, are you guiding for those as well? Or is that yep. just, okay. Yep. And that's so for here in Wisconsin, we only can fish for them in September. Oh, that's interesting. We okay. have a very limited season. It's from the first weekend of September to the end of the month. If I remember remembering, right. So what does your calendar year look like as a whole? Because everything's like sectored off. That's <laughs> exactly how it is. <laughs> I mean, so before muskies come along, it's smallmouth and pike. Okay. Then once uh, muskies open up, it's musky, musky, musky until it gets too hot. Then I go back to smallmouth, smallmouth and pike. Then once it cools off again, I'll be doing uh, musky. Until September hits, then it's going to be a lot of sturgeon and musky. Okay. Then from October to it ices up, it's musky. Yeah, that's freaking crazy. Oh, that's a it's a cool and like diverse fishery. Um, you know, and I know I know you do some stuff with the buffalo and the suckers. That's probably mm -hmm. just more for your own entertainment. You yeah, know, that's the thing is I always wonder like what some of these guys get out to do on their own free time, but uh it's clear the the muskies got your heart. <laughs> but uh, what I love before I was so huge in the muskie, I was out there chasing all the air quotes weirder stuff. Like a species where I'm currently at that I don't have readily available that I dearly miss is bullfin. I love yeah. catching bullfin on the fly. Yeah. Same thing with uh big mouth buffalo, same kind of deal where there's just not a lot of them around here. That is an interesting one. The big mouth buffalo and even the black buffalo is one of those mm -hmm. ones that like, especially the big mouth buffalo, that's one I'd really love to see somebody crack the code on. I mean, I know there's a lot of guys that catch them. Yep. But you're talking about a fish that can get so astronomically big. Yep. And you just don't see people catching the really, really, really big ones. I mean, like the 50, 60, 70 pound <laughs> caliber I've fish. I've only ever hooked one of those in my life and it didn't end well. 
using musky size fly fishing equipment. Yeah. When it ate, it ate a uh, little bunny leech, you know, about two inches big, just swam over as it was drifting through the corner and swallowed the whole thing. When I set the hook, it did nothing. It didn't even act like it was hooked. And this was with musky sized equipment. Just sat there and just continued kind of swimming along. Then it decided to do a big barrel roll on the line once it realized it was hooked. Hook popped out of its mouth and sent it right into my arm here. Oh, no. Yeah. That's a that's such a weird species. It seems like there's all these like rules about them. You know, it's a filter feeder. They won't mm-hmm. take a bait. But then you'll see constantly people blow dams and spillways seemingly fair hooking them in the mouth with like twister tails and like little crankbaits. Yeah. What the hell's going on here? And then, um, you know, guys like Tyler Winter, who's probably one of the only ones I've seen that, you know, gets them, I don't know, semi-consistently catching on things like an inflated, like yeah. air-filled <laughs> worm. And then I caught one. I've caught one in my life. And it just so happened to be like the biggest one I've ever seen. <laughs> a 60-pounder. And Jeez. I caught it on like a medium tackle, like small rod. The same thing. This thing freight trained so hard. I thought that I'd foul hooked an alligator gar. I was trying to catch gar bait <laughs> and I caught it on a range cube, like horse pellet. I'm like, I, huh. I, thought, I thought they didn't eat that. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, dude. Like you see the ones that the bow fishermen get or like the spear guys or whatever. And it's like, you see these giant fish. It's like, man, I would love to like see somebody really crack the code on that fish. And there's a lot of the black buffalo is the same thing down here, like the deep, deep south, like in like the bayous of Louisiana, the commercial guys and like the bow fishermen. Again, they'll they'll harvest these colossal giants around cypress trees and big oaks yeah. and black water with the Spanish moss hanging down. You just don't see it. It's like I would love to see somebody like deploying like the European tactics for these suckers down here. Mm-hmm. but. Nobody's cornered that scene yet, but I would love to see somebody burst on the scene and do that because that's one of those. It's another one of those like North American giant fish that flies under the radar a lot. <laughs> um, you know, and I yeah. got my buddy Austin Anderson. I've shouted him out on this podcast a thousand times. He's kind of like the big buffalo guy that I know, yeah. but it's like you know, that's out in Texas. But um, I don't know those big mouth buffalo. That's a weird one. That's such an anomaly. I they like, really are, and the only time I've really got into them I think is, one, there has to be a good population of them, and two, I think it's more of a curiosity thing. Like, if you think of a little kid, the only way they learn not to touch hot stuff is by they put their hand on the hot pan. Yeah. I think it's something that's like, ooh, what's this pink thing th- flowing through the water? I'll, they, they don't have hands, so they have to put it in their mouth. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Anytime you see a fish that gets that big, that sustains itself on such small food, you know, that automatically presents like a real unique challenge from an angling perspective. It's mm-hmm. like you got to be able to go like, you got to be able to accommodate for that size with this little gear. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's just a crazy one. That's one of yeah. many. So, but uh, you know, you've, you've obviously, you know, Wisconsin is your home waters um, yep. and and you specialize in Wisconsin's premier fish, state fish. Yeah. Kind of cool. You'll have a state. Fish. I don't even know Florida has a state fish. <laughs> <laughs> I need to research that. I wonder what it is. Um, do you have trips in mind of, of, I don't know. You know, I, I love to know like where people's mind is at for like, you know, 
if you went and traveled somewhere, either yeah. within the states or elsewhere, you got any uh, other type of fish? You know, like ideally, you... I know we talked a little bit before we got started here. Except I really want to get my alligator gar, mm. whether it's with fly or with gear. I'm willing to do both. For me, it'd be just cool, really cool to do it on the fly. Yeah. Then of course the white sturgeon is the next one, and that's as far as it for in-state fish that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, otherwise, there's a lot of traveling I want to do for muskies. Like, there's a ton of Canadian water and other states I want to visit for muskie. Yeah. Because I've, you know, I've caught in Minnesota, uh, Michigan, and Tennessee. I really want to get out to West Virginia, Virginia, explore their fisheries because all the fisheries are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. It's just a new learning experience. Yeah. Sometimes it's funny to see how certain fish behave different, like geographically too. It's like, it'll kind of mm-hmm. surprise you. Um, you know, we talk about the bowfin thing. I feel, I, feel, I gotta be like the only guy that is like, <laughs> I have fish for that fish in seven different States. It's the same thing. <laughs> and it isn't because I wanted to, it's because we grew up moving. Like I just, yeah. I had a lot of opportunities, but it has been very unique to see how they behave differently in some areas as compared to others. So even if, if just that, it's kind of fun to go chase the same fish in different places to see the, mm-hmm. what you thought you knew, you didn't necessarily know. It's like, no, you just know your fish. Like you just know, yep. you just know like that, but I totally get it. Um, and I couldn't encourage you more. Like I said, like we talked about, you know, sector off a week, a long weekend, lay down a great game plan. And if you want to go chase alligator gar, even on the fly, I got some resources. I can send you uh, I would love that. The names of a couple of guys that specialize in it, um, and 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 with the white sturgeon, it's kind of the same thing. At least, at mm-hmm. least the nature of that fishing is, you know, at its core level, is just sticking a chunk of meat on bottom. And it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like uh, as American anglers, you know, the the musky kind of falls into that same category. It's like you've got to take some time to catch the biggest, like the ones like yeah. that. That is like our fish you know what i mean it's like those are like two big like mantle species that everybody's got to take time to go and knock off just just to Mm -hmm. do it um but yeah well you're sitting there right on a gold mine of one of the ones that's big for me but uh yeah that musky that that's a big one for me (laughs) but man uh justin i know we're getting a little close on our time you know okay I, i got kids i gotta cook for and things like that but um you know you're running a business you know what i mean and i and i want to support that and and, and i want to support good people and you know, i've been following thank your you. stuff for a while i would consider you good people um thank you. You, know, you you thank clearly you respect um you know you clearly respect our native species uh, and, and a lot of the fish that need more respect but people who are interested in going to catch these fish I mean, it's a bucket list fish i fall into that category where yeah. could they go to find you like your business page personal yep. websites, Instagram, how could they reach you if they wanted to like see some of so, these musky or set up a trip? Yeah, of course. So the easiest way to contact me is it's a same website for this website for the Facebook and for Instagram where it's musky fly fishing guide. Then for the website, of course you add in.com after except that's how you'll yeah. find me on Facebook. That's how you'll find me on Instagram. Then if you want to take a look at that, I just got the business page going. If you want to take a look at more muskies and all that, my personal page is uh, Grumpy Fisherman on okay. Instagram. 
Well, you haven't, you've been nothing but pleasant so far in this conversation. So I appreciate that. Maybe when you've had a tough day of musky fishing, you get grumpy. So at least you, haven't, <laughs> you haven't lived up to your name on here anyway, but yeah, I, I couldn't encourage people more. If you want to go see big gnarly looking musky or the sturgeon, all the other species that you're catching, people got to go check it out. Cause it's some awesome stuff. Um, yeah man and you kept it simple musky fly fishing guide you didn't get too fancy with it yep you're probably a pretty easy guy to find <laughs> but uh I like to keep it that way yeah well justin i appreciate you having i appreciate having you on here and uh man i i think you did the musky uh justice i appreciate getting you on Thank here you. dude yeah appreciate it being on all right man well i'm gonna let you get to it and we'll be in touch all right yep sounds good dude all right, man, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Boundless Pursuit. Tune in each week as we bring stories and insight from uniquely talented anglers and outdoorsmen. And if you enjoyed this show, I want to hear from you. Be sure to leave a five-star review as this is going to drive the growth and exposure of this show. And if you have feedback or guest suggestions, I would love to hear from you. And you can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com. For all other collections of media and contact information, please visit www.boundless-pursuit.com.